Yo, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Textual Talk, where I'm your host, HD, where we talk about everything tech, cybersecurity, career advice, through finances, dating, you name it. We talk about everything on this podcast. And today we have a lovely guest for you all, Miss Herlane. If you follow her on TikTok, you know her as Life in Herlane, and she's always giving out dope advice, especially when it comes to getting into cybersecurity. So I'm about to bring her up real quick and let's get this thing started. But before, you know, we get this thing started. Make sure y'all hit that like button. And if y'all with me in the chat, please put hit the one button. And let me bring her in. Hello. Hey, how's it going? How's it going? Good morning or afternoon. <laughs> let me see if everybody can hear these. Could you hear them gunshots? I could. Hopefully they okay. can. Okay. Okay, cool. They hit me with a one. All right, we're going to get started because people <laughs> got stuff to do today. All right, um, so we're going to start this thing off like this. Uh, it's been a crazy last couple of weeks, especially to start off 2023. Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts right now on tech layoffs? Being a person that's been through the tech layoffs before, well, you really want mass tech layoffs just because a company mm -hmm. mismanaged. Kind of like what I see in most of the companies, and people are kind of cast the whole spell on tech as if like, oh, it's going down. Um, so what's your thoughts on that? Um, well, first thing you want to look at the companies that are doing the layoffs, a lot of them had hyper growth after the pandemic. And so naturally, it's just the ebbs and flows when you have hyper growth um, due to people being at home. So they were utilizing a lot of the tools or the apps that they had that are getting underutilized now that we've kind of gone back to how things were originally. So those companies had massive growth and then they hired a lot of people on and now they're not meeting the same valuation numbers. So they're going to have to cut costs somewhere. And it happens, it always kind of happens in tech where you'll see that if you look at cycles throughout history, um, it's just kind of the ebb and flow of things. So when I joined tech, it was in 2009, it was right after the whole 2008 recession. Um, so you saw a lot of layoffs happening, but after that, you also saw a lot of innovation and a lot of jobs and positions that came from the recession and from the layoffs. So I don't want to say it's a good thing, but you know, looking on the positive side of things, I think we'll see an uptrend in people getting hired and getting positions and a lot more innovation for like the next decade. Yeah, I agree too. I think it's overhiring. Uh, I'm waiting to see the data on um, who actually was mostly impacted. Like I've seen probably some people that were like cybersecurity may be affected, but mostly they weren't. And uh, mm -hmm. it's not necessarily because it's recession proof, because if a company's doing bad, anybody can get laid off. Absolutely. Just more so, I believe after 2020, well, when 2020 happened, they saw that no matter what, we need these guys. So our company going to go you know, down mm -hmm. faster than, you know, a boat with the anchor on it or a hole in it, whatever you want to say. I, I couldn't think of a good analogy. But um, I think they realized that because we saw that with some of the the major players, companies that became big names in the last, what, three years, just based off of offering cybersecurity solutions for companies, especially when it comes to remote work. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty cool. We might get uh, back into uh, those questions a little bit later. But for our listeners or well, future listeners, watchers right now, um, who is Helene? Tell us about her story. Yes. Yeah, so, well, um, my name is Herlane Mohammed. I'm 29 years old and I currently live in Washington, D.C. And right now I am a countermeasures engineer working at the Pentagon. But I originally started my career almost 14 years ago now. Um, I started as an IT intern when I was 15, turning 16. 
And I did that through Texas, the Texas Veterans Commission. They had a summer youth program. And it actually, I believe, starts at ages 14 to 24 is where they allow people. So uh, definitely underutilized resource that I'd say, everybody, look into your local workforce commission and see what type of programs they have where they can get you a job in those fields. Um, so I did that. I started off 15, turning 16, and I was an IT intern through the Texas Veterans Commission. And then I joined the Army when I was 17 because I actually graduated high school early at 16. And I was a 25 Bravo IT specialist in the Army. So it actually worked out because my recruiter at the time um, told me that I scored really high on the ASVAB. And he was like, hey, you know, maybe you should look into doing Intel or IT because my mom was pushing me to be a uh, 68 whiskey, which is medical. Uh, she wanted me to be a doctor. <laughs> that was basically the only option that we had at the time because everybody in my family is medical. But I'm glad I ended up listening to the recruiter. <laughs> Um, went on and I was a 25 Bravo IT specialist in the army, did that for six years. And then I got out and I joined the civilian world. Um, I was still relatively like really young when I got out in my early twenties. And so I didn't really know which path I wanted to go down. Um, I went to school and was pursuing pre-med at first. I did, uh, biology with an undergrad in chemistry. And after like three years of doing that while working full-time in IT, I just decided it was not for me. And then that's when I decided to pur- like pursue IT full-time and get a degree in computer science and then end up switching to cybersecurity and joined back into the government contracting world. So I got out of civilian tech and went into contracting about four years ago. And ever since then, I've just been doing contracts at different bases. Um, I was in AFSOC base. I was in New Mexico. And now I'm here in D.C. Gunshots for that. I quickly, when you said you brought up the military, I kind of want to ask you about that because I run into mm-hmm. working with a lot of veterans. I have friends that are veterans mm-hmm. and, you know, they are trying to, some of them are trying to transition out and get into tech. So being that one of the things that the military has over like anybody else is like benefits for like paying for school and paying mm-hmm. you to go to school, free schooling, you name it, like What's a good timetable for them if they're trying to transition out? Like how many months should they plan ahead to transition out and either get them a government, you know, tech role or, you know, a civil, like you said, like a, a private tech role when they're trying to transition out? How long does that that process typically take? Um, so the transition process, usually people start like a year to six months out. But I really think you should start the moment and the day you join the military because <laughs> um, there's a lot of use, like resources that are just underutilized because people don't really know about it. We don't get guidance like that, uh, especially if you don't have good leadership. So you don't know things that are available to you. Like there's whole coding boot camps that are like four or five months long that you can do that are free for military personnel. Regardless of your active duty or reserves, you can get um put for like an alternate work location and be there four or five months getting those resources and learning coding. Um, There's also a lot of ways to uh, cross collaborate, I want to say, between different organizations. So if it's a career that you want to work in, you don't have to wait until you're up six months out and go do SkillBridge in order to transition and try to get a company to hire you out, especially for people who aren't in IT roles that are in the military because they still have clearances that is really valuable in the IT world and in cybersecurity, if you're going to go into um, the government side of things or even non-government, public and private sector, having a clearance is very valuable. So regardless of what you do, there are ways that you can transition um, into an IT role as long as you have a clearance or if, even if you're just part of military, I would say start the day that you get in. Cool. So give us a, 
I guess like a brief rundown of like uh, you're pretty much we'll say I'm just say 15 year tech vet at this point. Mm-hmm. Give us like a rundown, I guess, of like that career progression, just with titles alone. Like um, about how many years have you been like just strictly cyber? Um, so I've been kind of all over the place, you know. So the IT side in the military house is just IT specialist was the name that they gave us. But when you go to the school, so you have to get your networking, servers and security. Um, They teach you all three for IT specialists. It's a little bit more generalized in the Army, whereas like Air Force or Marines, um, they have more specialization. So I was an IT specialist. I did security in the military, uh, mainly like vulnerability management or risk management framework, RMF um, type of ATO packages, things like that along with doing networking, um, network administration, along with some administration server, along with PC tech work. So having that luxury definitely helped because you kind of see a holistic point of view of security, whereas like most people might come in and focus strictly on security without having fundamentals in desktop support or servers or networking. Um, So that definitely was the start of my security career once I got out, I didn't even know what I wanted to do. <laughs> so my first job when I got out of the military was working at Best Buy. I was a geek squad advanced repair agent because I was, I was it 22 at the time. And all I could really think of when it came to tech was um, micro center, Best Buy, you know, things like that. Since I went in so young, I didn't really understand the capabilities of what I could do with my career once I got out. So I had like a very linear progression once I got out. Um, I did that for a little while, worked at a hospital and I did help desk. I worked at sys administration, vulnerability management, and then went to work on in a SOC. And then after that is when I switched back into working in government contracting. And that's when I got my first security lead role. Uh, I was working as a team lead for a security operations center. And I was doing vulnerability management. And then I eventually got the opportunity to be the site lead there. So I was overseeing the entire IT department. Um, decided that I didn't really like people management and switched back into just doing full individual contributor role. And then I moved here to DC. That's when I started working, doing engineering at the SOC here. And I was uh, given the opportunity to work as a countermeasures engineer. And then I also worked with CISA, um, worked with CISA doing forensics, network forensics analyst. Nice. Yeah, we're definitely going to touch on that because you said a lot of stuff yeah. <laughs> and I made mental <laughs> I'm notes. I've done it all in tech. I mean, I've also done, um, I did a coding boot camp. So I taught at a coding boot camp afterwards well, and I did a little bit of um, software development, like freelance. Yeah, I know like when I graduated from, because um, I meant to actually, I was like, man, hold on, how she did this in 09? Because I was like, we're <laughs> roughly in the same age. And then you said, oh, I graduated early and I got you. Yeah. Um, when I came out of school, undergrad, dang, it's about 10 years ago. I, I pretty much graduated from undergrad, but um, mm-hmm. I was this close to being like an AT&T technician because <laughs> um, getting out of school is kind of like the same way. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I took these classes, but ain't nothing landing right now and I need yeah. to do something. And um, They don't like, know. Um, you don't necessarily know what some of the opportunities are. <laughs> Yeah. And that's the whole thing is like why I say like school needs to be revamped in a sense. It's like, hey, mm-hmm. now some now granted, some of the professors we had, like even like my boss that I worked with, uh, I was like a student IT tech assistant in the college of business. Now, my boss that pretty much designed the whole network for the college of business and mm-hmm. all the smart tech that the uh, professors use and all that stuff, he actually had 
like tech positions before he worked for the college. And some of the professors did too, but it's just, it wasn't the same as somebody that was currently like actually working mm-hmm. and coming in there to tell the kids what they need to know, which is why I like what I did on that presentation the other day is because I didn't have somebody that was currently in the field to come in and tell me things that I needed to know. But like on last week's episode, like I said, I was this close to probably doing AT&T, but they, the recruiters from Apex reached out to me to do the uh, TSA contractor help desk. And um, that's how I got my clearance. And my clearance actually is not active, but it's about to expire. Um, but that, that's dope. Let's talk about, I want to talk about two things real quick before we get into the uh, countermeasure stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have people sometimes that reach out to me about RMF and like I haven't did a lot of the government security type of stuff, right? So I know RMF is like one of those big things, especially when it comes to like compliance, mm-hmm. right? Um, could you explain to us like what is RMF and kind of like what it's used for and um, what type of roles typically would I have to know about RMF? Yeah. So um, main roles that you'll see with RMF is like ISSO, um, ISSE, which is Information System Security Operator, Engineer, Administrator. Um, With those roles, a lot of it is just more so policy based. Um, They're creating the policies that you see that we have to abide by within cybersecurity. Half the time is just like ATO packages that are being submitted through EMAS, which is a system that they use to do those and a lot of it is just getting accreditations, accreditations and policies. It's more so the like unsexy side of cybersecurity, but very much so needed. I think it's a great uh, field that anybody that works in cyber specifically should have some sort of experience with for their career. Dope, dope. All right. And then now we're going to get into because you're speaking my language, what you said, like um, you start doing like some sock work. So you are working in a sock in the, in the government, right? Yes. How is that? Because like I said, on the outside looking in, when I did like help desk for TSA, I know I remember the environment being like very locked down. Um, so I figured like security job was fairly not easy in a sense. It's like it's easy to do, but more so mm-hmm. like whenever something does happen, it happens. But for the most part, it's a lot of boring days because they don't really allow the end users to do much on the network. So how is that? Because this, I think this is the first time I, well, no, Rev was on here, but I don't think we really dove deep into like um, working like a sock belt for the government. How is that? Um, it depends. Like you have your slow days, then you have some that are really fast paced. It kind of is different because we're securing systems that have to deal with national security. So things that you might see on um, the news or current events that are happening affect us a lot different than it would just working in a normal SOC. So those are times where it's critical mission operations that are going on where you have to be really high alert because you'll see like an uptrend in the number of attacks that are happening. Um, so it's 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 fun, I'll say. <laughs> you get to see a lot and it's really fun. It's very fast paced. But then again, there are times where it can be slower. Um, it's a lot of great learning opportunity though. You'll see different things that you wouldn't normally see in a SOC. Um, and I know you can't say much about that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> so that gone into too much detail, but yeah. <laughs> but um, did you guys use like current tooling in your sock, or was it um? I'll put it like this: this this is a better question. And you in the sock. What tools did you work with as far as like a uh, Q radar? Did you work with like Q radar, ArcSight? Yeah, worked with both of them. Um, also Elk Stack, uh, 
Splunk as a sim. We do, we use all the tools that you would normally see. And then we have some internal tools that we use mm-hmm. that were developed specifically for the government as well. Got you. Yeah, I don't, well, QRadar is cool, but then once it starts messing up with handling the logs is why I don't like QRadar. <laughs> and ArcSight is this very uh, archaic. Mm-hmm. I've used it like briefly and it's, it's not that good. Yeah, we actually just transitioned away from ArcSight. So uh, built out their Elk Stack environment and we also use Splunk very heavily. Yeah, I've used Elk very briefly, but it, mm-hmm. it seems cool, uh, especially since it's open source. Yeah. Um, and then the last question is, how was that transition from being like, I guess, a regular analyst and then you went into being like a lead there? Mm-hmm. Like, what does that that shift look like for you? Because I know for me, um, I had started to distance myself away from some of my teammates, not in a bad way. Because like, mm-hmm. like when we started, everybody started the same level and then we had like group chats and stuff like that. But I was like, if they're going to take me serious, then I can't play with them all the time. So I need to come, <laughs> come on this chat. You know, so they can kind of know, like, no, I'm not over you in a sense, but like when I reach out to you, it's like, it's for a reason. And so Mm -hmm. I had to kind of establish that. And it took a while for them to kind of take to it. But eventually they was like, oh, okay, I I get it now. Um, But uh, how was that for you? That was definitely a struggle, um, depending on also who it was, because there was I was one coming in the youngest person on the team. I was 27. And then um, I was the only female also on the team. So there are certain times where you feel like you're being undermined, but I try not to read too much into it and still stay professional at all times. And then also the people who you were friends with, I guess you could say like your coworkers that you're friends with, it was kind of difficult to start creating boundaries and establishing like having that authoritative figure, I guess you could say, because then I had to start putting people on pit plans. I ended up having to fire people. What? It was just like it was, it was awkward at first, but I think once I got my footing, I kind of got used to it. But overall, it was just like not the easiest transition into it. But it was also my first time leading a team of that caliber. So I was um, working just with my SOC team originally, and then I was over the entire IT department. So networking, cyber, PC tech, so desktop support, um, systems engineering, project management. So it was the people who were in the teams that I didn't work directly with were a lot easier to manage. <laughs> and they just came with that certain level of respect that you get from military people too. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And that's that's cool. I know like um in the private sector it's a little bit different, especially with women. Um mm-hmm. they really have to assert a lot of more masculine features to try to get respect. And a lot mm-hmm. of times it still doesn't work. Um, I really just say for like, I'll just keep it like, you know, cut the BS for black women. That's what yeah. I've seen that they had to do. Yeah. Um, my manager in my, my last sock, she was a, a white woman. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I always talk about Ashley. Matter of fact, I need to get Ashley on here just because Ashley is like <laughs> the manager that pushed me right here. Well, she's not even a manager anymore. She's actually a director and, um, at Optif now. But, um, I, I think when she came in, she just came in and really help fix a lot of the, the different things um and did good like especially for the client size now for us her team um she never had no issues out of me some of the guys they do this thing where i'm like i think women do this because innately they aren't as stern mm-hmm. as, as men like when it comes to me and my girl with, with the little girls with our babies i'm the one that's like 
hey, no, stop. Don't give her that. Her mom's going to give in and give her the, the stuff. So that's why she's going to go to her and get it. Mm-hmm. Um, same things that happen. Like if it was something that the guys need to do and they kind of weren't doing it, I was like, they wouldn't, they would do this with a guy because a guy, our tolerance is like, yeah. for incompetence, our tolerance yeah. is like this because I don't have time to wake up and find out, hey, we are off the contract because somebody messed up. Like that's, and that's the the part that everybody doesn't see when, you know, I used to talk mm-hmm. about this all the time and give it to people straight when it came to all these day in the lives and how fun and glamorous it is. So I was like, okay, yeah, it's cool. You you wake up, you know, somebody hit you up at like one or two in the morning. Y'all got an incident. Hey, get on your computer. <laughs> oh, I <And> yeah. it. <laughs> That's one of the reasons I didn't leave in people management in general was because I was it. like on vacation and so they were calling me on vacation, just ruining my entire vacation. I was just like, yeah. When I get back, I'm just not going to do this anymore. <laughs> it's like you don't understand how much you have to be available outside of work. I like where you can just go to work, get my work done, and just come home. Yeah, let's talk about that. Like, mm-hmm. I don't like people management either. At least right now, I don't. But yeah. it's not probably for the same. It's probably not for the same reasons. For me, it's because for the last year. Yeah, last year I was doing more non-technical positions. Mm-hmm. And uh, if people want to actually know about how I feel about that in full, you can join the Patreon because I actually have two exclusive videos on there right now where I'm talking about like what I like my Q4 and what I'm currently going to do in my career. Mm-hmm. But, you know, interviewing after a year of being in like non-technical roles was not hard, but in some roles it was hard because I was missing some of the depth that I acquired. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely use it or lose it sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, but I also was amazed, like for me not doing stuff for in a year, the fact that I was able to always get to like these final rounds or whatever. Mm -hmm. It was just one of those things I always tell people, like I had a a meeting with a, um, a client yesterday and, um, they're fairly new. Um, they have like a foundation, like that they took a, a, a boot camp, which I think there was like a lot of hours. I, I I looked at the project she did, which was cool, but you know it's still intimidating to them for like looking for roles and just talking to somebody and all the things. And I was saying she was asking about interviewing. I was like, well, interviewing is a skill set within itself. I was like, Absolutely. I could prepare you as much as I want to, but until you actually start interviewing, that's the only way you're going to actually get better at it. It's going to be so crash and burns mm-hmm. and everything. Like I told them, I was like, shoot, I'm a decade in and I had some interviews where I was look tense and a little nervous, but credit to them or well, kudos to them. Their interview mm-hmm. team, like the first guy I interviewed with actually like eased me down because he could see I was kind of like tensed up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that's because I just wanted to, and one, it was, of course it was the company name or one, but number two, what I was going to be doing in that role was like super cool. So I kind of was like anxious, like, man, I want to really do this because I'm tired of doing what I do every day. I think we um, all get that. <laughs> yeah. And so I always try to tell that to like new people for the simple fact that like, hey, just because you're new don't mean that we don't get nervous. So mm-hmm. if we get nervous, it's okay to be nervous. So uh, that's definitely that. But I do like talking to people, but I, it is hard getting people sometimes to do what they need to do. Um especially if they BS and if you know, like, especially, and this is why I always prefer like a person that's possibly my manager has did mm-hmm. what I've did as I, I see. Right. Absolutely. Cause you can't BS me once I know, Hey, I know how long it takes to do that. Like, why are you playing on me? Now, if I never did it, I don't know. You could just <laughs> BS me as long as you want to. 
No, some of the best leaders I had were prior technical experience. So it's, it's the best um, people who kind of come in with like, they get hired into those positions because they might have a master's degree or MBA or whatever else. You see a difference in the leadership style and it ends up affecting the overall morale of the team too in the long run. Definitely. Definitely. I, I've seen that a lot. I'm like, I was like, yeah, you probably just got promoted because you've been here for a long time. I mean, you're a nice guy, but when it comes to showing us stuff, you know, like I said, I had like well, one of my videos is unlisted, but I talked about one of these other companies I work for, where documentation was atrocious, and this is a very well known company. And I always tell people that now too. It's like, man, I think I, I tweeted this a long time ago, saying like a lot of company security uh, infrastructure is running on uh, bubble gum and tape. <laughs> I was like, I was like, y'all be surprised what happens behind the scenes. Like everybody is fooling everybody. Like mm-hmm. you get somewhere and you're like, hold on. Y'all made me interview hard just to come here and see, like, y'all know what y'all doing? Yeah, you see that often, especially that's one of the biggest misconceptions in security, too, where you just think that all of these big name companies or even national companies are secure. And they're really not. They're not. Yeah. And that was actually going to be the question. Actually, it was like kind of like, what are the misconceptions about that? We can probably mm-hmm. get into. Well, we'll probably touch that. Too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll, pro- we'll probably get into that now. Let's let's get into because. When you first told me about uh, cyber uh, countermeasures engineer, mm-hmm. when you first told me about that role, I was like, hmm, I never, I've never heard of that position before, right? Mm-hmm. And so it kind of got me thinking. I was like, man, that's interesting. We got to like talk about this. So let's let's start the the second part of everything, everything right now and say, okay. hey, you know, what is a, a cyber countermeasures engineer? Uh, what is it and what are their responsibilities? So it's funny you say you never heard of it because um, they actually ended up creating the role for myself and one of my other coworkers. Uh, they saw that we had certain capabilities when we were working there that they didn't have previously. So the way it works with contracting in general is um, on every contract, there's billets for each position. And some of those billets might go unfilled, like they might not be readily available. But if there's a need for it or the customer requests it, they can open it up and then have people put into those roles. So I always tell people like, you should just kind of have technical excellence and standard, make it a standard for yourself because you never know what opportunities are there that you don't see that you can be placed into. Um, So the role was actually created for me and my other coworker. A lot of it is more so focused on, well, there's two different portions. We have the threat intel and IOCs detections, and then we have the content development and creation. So Basically, we're creating uh, a safeguard that helps to protect and uh, defend everything that comes in through the SOC. So we're defining a lot of the security requirements that go into it as well. Um, Some of the threat intel and IOCs detections will create like YAR rules, um, snort sigma, and implement them within the tools that the analysts use. And um, we've also built out entire environments. So like the Splunk ES stood up and we built out the incident review environment, created correlation searches, like custom ones that we'll put in there to have alerts coming in specific to our SOC. And then the analysts will go in there and review them. Um, We've also built out content development as far as like the different dashboards that they use. We do things to try to help automate their jobs and make it a little bit easier for them. So if they're doing retrospective analysis on an IOC, we created a dashboard to where it makes it easier. They just have to plug in the IOC. It'll run it against all the different logs we have, network and host logs, and they'll see everything that comes up. So um, basically, countermeasures is to try to make life easier. <laughs> Dope. Um, so what I'm getting from that is low-key, kind of like a uh, 
a mix of like a principal level person mixed mm-hmm. with a, uh, a detection of engineering. Um, someone that also is, I'm trying to see what's the other roles we did. Cause like our principal guy, right. Mm-hmm. When I, when I worked for Optus and on, on our client, he was the guy that pretty much stood up Splunk, stood up Phantom, eventually came back and stood up uh, Cortex. Mm-hmm. Um, he also is the person that did all the playbooks, made the correlation searches, mm-hmm. dashboard. So that's what, to me, it sounds like that, like pretty much like yeah. a different role. <laughs> it's really a cooler name than just yeah. saying, oh, like this it's is It's all of that. And then also guy. on top of the threat intel portion, because we also have to gather uh, some of the data for mm-hmm. the IOCs that we're implementing. Um, mix that with threat hunting and then you got it. <laughs> yeah. And then that's what I was going to uh, touch on too. It's like that mm-hmm. threat intelligence and that I'll also say when you said design and architecture, I throw threat modeling in there too then. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think I've, I've been telling everybody for a while, like threat modeling is probably like, I'll say detection and engineering, cyber threat intel and threat modeling are going to be some of like the bigger positions coming up mm-hmm. in the future because now everybody's realizing, hey, we need to separate these duties and let teams focus on just this. Absolutely. And that could be something uh, you could niche into. But Absolutely. I know for Thread and Tail, I always ask people, okay, hey, do you enjoy writing? And I was like, uh, yeah, I guess. And I was like, because I was like, if you do, you need, to, <laughs> you need to know how to write because that's a skill. It's a skill set in any role, right? Mm-hmm. Coming in and just knowing how to make documentation make sense and not make it overcomplicated is a skill mm-hmm. in itself. And um, that's one of how much writing there is in every portion of cyber in general. Right. And, and the thing is the fact too, is um, when you start off somewhere new, that's like one of the easiest things you could do. Cause you're reviewing everything. You got all these different questions. You find mm-hmm. out all the, uh, the gaps and processes um, and procedures, gaps in documentation. That's not there. Onboarding documents. So you actually, if you play your cards right, you can accomplish some things like in your first 90 days and just make Absolutely. sure you write them down. Absolutely. Everything you do at work, please write it down, review it. Uh, I forgot. I think a recruiter said this, but it's also like true. Like every month, try to do something, write it down. So when it comes to that review time, you got all these things you did. should have mm-hmm. no problem probably getting your promotion or your raise. Or if you're trying to make a case that, hey, you know, I'll be good in this this role, like show all the things you did. Try to find out the problem areas that they have. No, you're absolutely right about that. I've actually just got promoted off the fact that I had great documentation and then was able to help people. <laughs> was able to help um, when we had new people coming in. I would give them the documentation that I had, and it completely streamlined the whole onboarding process and also the business continuity that we had. So um, definitely, definitely take advantage of that. Right. Yeah. Somebody in the chat just said Chat GPT can help with documentation in a sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you have to be careful. Because everything that you put in there possibly should not be in chat GPT. So it's one of those things where you don't want to put company proprietary information in chat GPT. We actually just had a a meeting about that this past week at my job um, because we're going to try to see if they can utilize the API in any use cases for us, which we saw a couple. But it's kind of a fine line dealing with government information and using that API specifically. Right. Because also you don't know how that data is going to be stored once yeah, you get it in there. Yeah, that's a big issue. Now, what mm-hmm. I could what I could see in the foreseeable future is that, because I know Microsoft is invested heavily into it, mm-hmm. I would not be surprised if I seen some type of, you know how they got uh, public cloud and private cloud. 
Yes. I would not be surprised if I seen some type of like uh, thing that they do with Azure to where it's like private. So like this is stuff that people on the internet can't see, but you can use it. That would be interesting. We're working to try to develop something similar to that. Yeah, I think I think everybody is. But no, like AI is cool, but it does have its biases. Uh, I was looking at a post, a couple of posts on LinkedIn where they're asking people about Black History Month and it's bringing up non-Black people. Um, so the data is only as good as who's creating the algorithm and what it wants mm-hmm. it to look at. That's yeah. what's going to be one of the biases we have to get through. And that's the scary thing about trying to rely on AI and robotics too much. It's, a, it's similar and this is not the same thing, but it's just mm-hmm. like when people tell people to make resume so much for ATS. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing to me because I was like, I don't really focus on ATS too much. I focus on a human interacting with my client's resumes because ATS is fine, but ATS, as we know, has issues with sometimes certain doc formats and everything else. It doesn't catch everything. Yeah, A human is still better at interpreting things than a system. I don't, I don't care uh, what it is. Like we don't even know how to use all of our brain power. That is for true. a reason. But mm-hmm. I mean, if we could, I know tell them what'll be happening. Um, so, um, at a high level, I know you can't go into specifics, but at a high level, what are some things that you worked on? Not actually case related, but like we'll mm-hmm. say like some like a use case, right? It's something that's not necessarily tied strictly to the government, but uh, like interesting use case or something that you've worked on that could also be something that somebody like at a, a private company could like probably implement themselves that probably could help their team with an issue. Something like that, like something that's not like, oh, this directly, you know, something that we're working with, but something that maybe you researched, you were looking at some documents from like, uh, like for me, I get all the different um, documents from like Krebs on security, NIST, Mm-hmm. Uh, TechCrunch, Believe in Computer. Uh, I think I got, I think I'm on some of those Reddit things where they talk about different things that are happening or these different breaches or something like that. So um, um, what is something you worked on like that at a high level that you probably could talk about? Most recent one that I could think of that I think is really useful. Um, they give you some features for free, but you have to do eventually pay for it. But Sock Prime, uh, are you familiar with them at all? I've heard about them. I'm I'm just getting back into my 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 technical seat, so <laughs> mm-hmm. I have I've been far removed away from like all that stuff. But uh, Sock Prime is great. Uh, you should definitely take a look and create an account on there. It's um, severely underutilized, but I think it could be utilized in adu- use cases for just about everything, especially when it comes to detection. Because with Sock Prime, you can go and plug in what it is you're looking for. Say there's a vulnerability on a Microsoft Word or whatever. Um, you can go in there for that specific vulnerability or detection, and it will have every single different type of detection in there. So it will have one detection for Yara, Sigma, all the different SIMs. So it breaks it down into each individual language where you can see it written in SPL, uh, KQL. So you can plug it into whichever tool it is that you're using. It just helps make things a lot easier when it comes to detection. Nice. And um. Look at you saying some words that people don't know. What's KQL? So KQL, that's what I'm going to <laughs> Right. Yeah, it's pretty much, to me, it's similar to like SQL. And it's mm-hmm. also very similar to like the, the search language that you would use when you're uh, using Splunk. Yes. But let me ask you this then. Granted, your role is a, like a kind of creative role. And this role than any other organization is like separate roles. Mm-hmm. But we'll say... What would you say would be some skills someone would need to eventually 
be in your position? I think this will be like a, a good question. So hopefully everybody got out there notebooks. Um, number one, definitely learning different detection methods, um, learning how to write detections. So you'll have to know how to write a YAR rule, the syntax for it, um, snort rules for sure, because we plug that into a lot of the different tools that we use. Uh, Sigma, Suricata, Suricata is similar to snort as well. Those are all different detections that would be great to know. Um, Sim languages, I definitely would say the Sim languages you should know are SPL, because I'm a little Splunk bias, which is the Splunk search processing language. And then um, KQL, because a lot of different Sims do use KQL. So that's uh, definitely helpful to have. Linux, for sure, you need to know Linux and any type of bash scripting. So like PowerShell scripting, for sure. Um, at least one cloud provider. So if you know like AWS or Azure, or Google Cloud Platform, whatever you do, just take one and know that one and you'll be good to go. You don't really need to know all of them um, as long as you have a little bit of expertise in one. And then coding is completely uh, undermined when it comes to cybersecurity. I know a lot of people are like, oh, you don't need to know to code to be in cybersecurity. But if you do know how to code, it makes your job 10 times easier and it makes your, you that more valuable um, among the people that don't. So Definitely, I would say coding. Python is loved. It's very high-known, high-level programming language amongst cyber experts. Um, JavaScript is really good to know because you can prevent cross-site scripting attacks. SQL, you can also prevent um, injections with SQL injections. So that one is very important to know as well. And then things like HTML, uh, different assembly languages, um, C, C++, they're very much so good programs to know as a cybersecurity professional, even though everyone seems to hate them. <laughs> but um, I don't know if I said HTML and PHP, those also be some good ones to know. And that's apart from the regular security fundamentals and things that you know, know for security. Um, you should also know network security controls, different things like firewall, VPN, uh, IPS, IDS, and at least two, three different SIM solutions that you should be familiarized with. That'll be really helpful. Um, VPNs as well. Uh, and then on a base structural level, you should know like network and system administration. Networking, I really say, I feel like you should know it at a high level. <laughs> like, networking is the one thing that I tell everybody in cybersecurity, just learn networking inside and out. As long as you have a strong fundamental in networking, you will be able to excel as a security personnel. So um, definitely go all in on your knowledge when it comes to anything networking related and then operating systems and virtual machines and how they work. That'll be definitely beneficial also. Man, let me, let me, let me give you some more. Sensational. <laughs> let me give you some more of that for that uh, breakdown because I'm coming back on screen in a second. I'm just looking for some crap. All right, cool. <laughs> but um, that's, that's cool. I'm glad that you said that um, those are a lot of skills and, Typically, what I've been saying, and people are going to hear me say this every day, how you figure out these skills is you go research job descriptions, and they're going to have the skills on there. Mm -hmm. You have a lot of e-learning platforms to kind of introduce you to them, and then you could take it further and start to implement them in projects or buy even other courses Absolutely. on them to practice the skill set. Um, a lot of people, I think their biggest issue has been like on the experience part, and I always try to say, you know, Talk to some people in the field, find out like what would be like some meaningful projects you can do on your own that could speak to you being able to handle the day-to-day -day things that you would work on in that role. Mm -hmm. And I also tell people like, hey, start your Medium blog or something like this. Start documenting your journey and yeah. documenting the skills you're learning because not only is it going to help you remember, it's going to reinforce what you know. And when it comes to an interview, you'll be able to speak to that skill set. Mm -hmm. 
So you gave us the technical skills. What and we all know this like tech skills is just one part of like yes. transitioning your your uh, career. But what would be like some non-technical like soft skills that someone needs to also take those next steps to get those bigger paying roles? Um, number one is a troubleshooting skills. And that's kind of a difficult one because it also does build off of your experience and um, your guidance of who you have that who you learn from. Because for me personally, my troubleshooting skills when I was starting out. So what I would do is uh, diff- build that in different ways. Um, once you join a team, when you're starting with a team, you kind of want to align yourself with three different types of people. So First one is always whoever the smartest person in the team is. So if you see somebody that everybody's always going to for questions, um, align yourself with that person and begin to write down the way that they troubleshoot things and just kind of look and ask them questions. Why did you do this instead of that? You know, um, that's one way that's really easy to build your troubleshooting skills is learning from how other people troubleshoot because you can get creative with troubleshooting, too. Um, That's number one for sure. Number two in tech would definitely have to just be people skills, talking skills, and being a personable person is underrated because some people are really awkward. <laughs> you know, you know, every team you go on, there's like one or two people who are very smart technical-wise, but everybody on the team hates working with them because the people skills portion is missing. So if you have the technical ability on top of the people skills and you can um, talk to people easily, you're already a step ahead of everybody else. And then another one that is another underrated skill is being able to conceptualize things in an easier way. So you're going to have to talk to stakeholders, C-level execs. Um, You're going to, for us military executives that we have to speak to, generals and higher ups, you're going to have to be able to explain it for people that are technical. And it's kind of difficult if you think they know what you're talking about, but they don't. one way that you can help build on that skill, like I said, three people you should align yourself with. One is the most technical person. Two is all the new people coming into your SOC. So if there's a new person that comes onto the job, you at this point should have, you know, baseline understanding of everything and you have everything that you've worked on. Teach it to that person and that'll help reassure that you know what you're talking about. And it also makes it easier to talk to these executives and things like that. Because teaching a person also helps to reassure yourself that you know what you're talking about. And they're coming in with zero knowledge. So you have to explain it to them in a way that helps them to get an understanding for it. Um, That's also very much so a good soft skill to have. And then the third type of person is like somebody who is in power on the team is the type of person you want to align yourself with. So they're the person who's going to be able to speak your, your name in the rooms where it matters to help you get into promotions or get onto different teams, they'll say, yeah, I can vouch for this person. Um, So relationship building would be another skill that I say is great to have. Yeah, man, you, like I said, you echo on everything that I say, because Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of what I talked about. I'm trying to see that I bring. Yeah, I brought that up in my advance in my uh, advancing your cybersecurity career, LinkedIn learning course. I brought in uh, some of those things about, I actually got reassurance that I really was, uh, doing a very good job when the client wanted me to come to Burbank um, Mm -hmm. to the quarterly and they want to meet me like in person. That's how I knew. (laughs) And all that happened because I did align myself. I did say every job I aligned myself with the principal guy, the guy that with the most experience that knows Mm -hmm. everything. So that's what happened. I started going through documentation. If I couldn't figure something out, then I would go to him. His, His name is John. I'm like, John, Hey, I did all this, but I got right here and he'll, 
start up a quick Zoom session and I'll learn. And then I want to ask them that same question mm-hmm. again because I've learned from it. And I kept on doing that other in different ways. But the fact that I would just come out and ask and I'm doing my due diligence led for John to start vouching for me as well to yeah. where he started telling people, hey, reach out to him. He knows the stuff. And that's and important so that's that you what, said that because the due diligence portion, because there's a right way and a wrong way to go about it, right? Because you don't mm-hmm. want to make that person feel like you're not even trying and you're just coming to them for every single answer for something that you get stuck on. You know, it's a way where you can break it down, say, hey, I tried this, I tried this, I tried this, everything that you said to do and it's still not working. And now I'm coming to you. Yep, definitely. And uh, and then that started giving me, so I started doing like two, five, I started doing like our stuff on our end and I started having like meetings with the client when it came to like content rules or what was going to work on or me being a, a person that works with my team knowing, hey, I don't like this rule and it's going to end up, you know, biting us in the butt, which I did sign an alarm on that before. <laughs> I might tell you a joke, but I but never, never tell you, you a lie. lie. I, I did that at that job. And, you know, <laughs> some months in, they end up having an incident. But, I mean, it is what it is. But let's do, this is one of the more interesting questions that people always want to know this when it comes to these interviews. And you don't have to be specific, right? Mm-hmm. You can give me a range from, like I guess, like the last four uh, couple of years of your career. But what would be, like... I don't know. I guess it's hard because like your role exists, but I don't know how prominent it is to actually have this like something that somebody could look up for. Mm-hmm. But what would be uh, a well, granted, and you're in the DC area. I guess it would depend. But what would be like decent salaries for your role, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I know uh, that's going to be a hard one to, to ask engineer. or answer. I can give you an exact answer for military and government contracting wise. Okay. Uh, outside of contracting. There's still countermeasures. Uh, it just has a different title um, okay. where you can expect to see a salary range upwards, definitely upwards of 100. It depends also on your years of experience. Um, the way it works with contracting specifically is there is the task on the task orders and for each billet, they have different categories of how much that they can pay depending mm-hmm. on years of experience. So um, if you fall up into one of the higher tiers, then you can get more Anywhere from 150, I would say 150 to 225. That's that probably that's from what I've seen. But the person who had 150 had less uh, experience overall. I think he was at maybe four and a half years of experience. Right. Yeah. Um, there's yeah. also uh, in contracting, you can be a W-2 employer, 1099, which also plays into how much money you're going to be getting paid. Um, so for 1099, you can get maybe upward of 250. Dope. And so this is also a good question because people ask me this all the time and I haven't did, well, I'm interested in doing a contract role this year, um, mm-hmm. especially since I can work it under my company. Um, what are the best sites to apply to like contract positions? And also like, for example, let's say if, if I was hitting you up, say, Hey, Herlane, I want to do like a contract gig, but mm-hmm. I don't really know any information on like my clearance and crap. Right. Mm-hmm. For a person like me that has a clearance technically, but hasn't been used in like, what, seven years now, what would be my best route if I want to get a, a contracting role? Um, so it depends. First, you're going to have to figure out if your clearance is active or if it's been expired. Um, the Because you know it laps if you're not in a position that has the clearance active, I think, for after, I want to say, two years. And so what you can do is 
If you have the information for the FSO, which is a security officer from the previous company where you worked, you can reach out to them and ask them, hey, is my clearance active? Or you can just apply to any new company because they're going to have to run your clearance anyways. And they can come back and tell you, hey, it's been inactive since this date. This is what you need to do. Um, in the event that it lapses, you're going to have to find a company willing to sponsor you, which there's a lot of different ones that are willing to sponsor you, especially DMV area or if you go to what are considered like the unsexy locations. So my clearance lapsed when I got out the military since I was working on the civilian side. And then mm -hmm. I went to New Mexico. They were willing to sponsor and upgrade it to TSSCI. I originally had a secret mm -hmm. when I was in the mm -hmm. Army um, because that base, nobody wants to go there. <laughs> it's yeah. in the middle of nowhere. So if you're willing to go places like that, you can easily get sponsorship. Um, overseas is one of the easiest ways to get sponsorships um, if you don't necessarily have a family or even if you do you could do, go for a year and like places like Kuwait they're always sponsoring people um, into certain positions like it might be personnel security or IT positions where they need people and you can get sponsored into a role with them and then come back to the states and work in contracting if you're you already have a clearance and you want to work in contracting go on clearance jobs that's number one. I get majority of my um, re people reach out to me from clearance jobs. So like recruiters and everything, they hit me up every day. They'll say, hey, I saw your resume on clearance jobs. So post all of your information on there. You'll have people reaching out to you to where you don't even need to apply, but you'll see positions that are open and you can still apply to them. I've done that and gotten positions that way. Um, LinkedIn is also great because you can connect with the recruiters. So I would typically go on LinkedIn and search for recruiters that are looking for OCONUS or OCONUS cleared personnel. And then it's a small network once you actually. Oh, no, what's the, what, what did you just say? Oconus? Oconus or Conus, which is um, overseas or outside continental U.S. And then okay, continental gotcha, U.S. Gotcha. Yeah. So um, all of those positions typically have that in the title somewhere or in the name. Um, so I would talk to the recruiters there. And then another one that's completely underutilized is Facebook. We have whole groups on Facebook dedicated to contractors. So there's one for overseas contracting. There's one for signal IT contracting and then contracting in general. Logistics has its own one as well. So if you just connect with people that are within those Facebook groups, um, they can give you referrals or they'll tell you. There's also recruiters that are in the groups, too, and they'll post new jobs that come out. Um, it's all definitely contracting. is uh, It's a small subgroup of people that do contracting. So building a network within it is very, very important, too. That's dope. Um, shout out to you for uh, giving that information. And are those remotes? I mean, <laughs> are those positions remote? I say all those remote positions. <laughs> it's dependent. So it is dependent on what the actual position is. There's. You know, if you're going to be dealing with um, classified information, at some point you're going to have to go on site because you're going to have access to um, the top secret account. So you're going to have to go to a SCIF. But there's plenty of people who just go in and sign in to keep their accounts active. They're not actually there on site most of the time. Like for me, my accounts, um, my position is hybrid. So I go once a week on site and I'll do whatever I need to do on the high side at that time. And then the rest of the week, everything's pretty much unclassified that I'm working on. So we get to do that at home. Even when it comes to classified, which a lot of people don't know, when I was working at the AFSOC, which is Air Force Special Operations Command Base, when COVID first hit, they gave everybody, um, we had to deploy these, what are called gray kits, they're CFSC, which is something capabilities, I forget the whole entire name, but basically it's a router um, and a laptop that comes and it's specifically for the secret networks. And so the people, which were the users and all the military personnel and contractors, 
were able to take this kit with the router and the laptop home, and they were working on the classified and unclassified stuff from home when COVID hit. We did that for like a year. Everybody was teleworking, whether it was secret or not. So a lot of people don't really have that capability because the Air Force, they spend money. <laughs> They're willing to invest in that type of technology. You won't necessarily see that in the DMV area. I haven't really seen any people that let you take the classified networks home. But if you work with the Air Force base, I will say more so or more likely to have that type of capability. And then also cloud. If you work like anything cloud, you're pretty much going to be remote. Software development, pretty much always remote for those positions as well. Um, I've seen some system engineering positions that are remote. And then cybersecurity, typically hybrid or fully remote. It just depends. But majority of the cyber positions are going to be hybrid uh, or on-site. Yep. And that's because, like you said, dealing with the things that you have access to. Yeah. Which kind of like, hybrid, okay, here's my take on it. I don't mind hybrid if it's something that I want to come to the office and do. If it's something yeah. I know I don't need to be there to do and uh, add in, if my team isn't there, why am I there? Mm-hmm. That's like big for me. Um, and the fact that, you know, a lot of people are, a lot of these older companies are making you come in knowing you don't have to, or people come yeah. in knowing people, people come in knowing they're sick mm-hmm. and now, and now you may be sick. So it's just, that is true. You know, that is true. We yeah. see that all the time. But <laughs> a lot of them are trying to actually move towards being more remote, fully remote. Um, but for the time being, you'll see a lot where you're typically one or two days on site per week, which I personally don't mind. I kind of like it. Cool. So before we get into like some spicy hot takes, mm-hmm. um, actually, let's, let's start up. This will probably be the first one. We, we kind of talked about that. We will bring this one up. Um, actually, you know what? That one might be funner to do after this one. So I'm going to present real quick. Uh, I want to share screen. Let's see. Let's see. Everybody probably can see this. I'm just going to get your opinion on this because I made this, what, a week ago? Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's relevant. All right. They should be able to see. All right, so this is one of the things like, and I made, I don't know if the, the layoffs were happening or not yet, but I made this telling people like, some people just try to get a random referral from people because they work at the company. But mm-hmm. that's why I was telling people, I said, you, hey, you know what's better than a referral from a person at the company of interest? Getting a referral from the person that works on the team that you want to work on. Yes. Um, network and stay diligent. Um, what do you think about that? It's so funny you say. I think I commented on that, but when you posted it on TikTok. <laughs> oh, really? Because I was like, yeah, you know, it's even better than that is getting a referral from someone on the team that you want to work at that has worked with you in the past and can vouch for you too, which is even better. But I completely agree. Getting someone um, from the team that you want to work at is already going to be a leg up. And then the thing I kind of noticed in cybersecurity is like, well, not cybersecurity, tech in general is great technical people kind of migrate and follow each other everywhere they go. Like if you find a security team that works really well together, nine times out of 10, they've been working with each other for a long time at multiple different positions. If I come, I'm bringing in people I know that are going to be doing good on the job. I'm going to bring them in with me. It's not really like favoritism. Some people say nepotism or things like that, but it's just a matter of I can vouch for the fact that I know we're going to get things done. That's facts. Every time I go to a new place, I try to see we got openings and bring people from my old team that I like. Mm-hmm. That is 100% facts. Yep. And to take it a step further, um, last year, 
uh, I, it's crazy. Like a recruiter from Ripple reached out to me. And um, the funny thing was my friend. So like you said, you know, Tay, me and Tavion worked together at two places before. And so once he talked to me and found out, like, you know, we worked together, stuff like that. And the hiring manager found out he wants to talk to me just because Tavion is, is at Ripple killing it. Like literally. Yeah. And so if he was killing, it's like, oh, well, maybe he will. Now, I never applied to the role, and I think they were looking for something else in that position. But the fact that I didn't even apply and they mm-hmm. interviewed me really up the strength of him is when I tell people, hey, no matter where you're at, it's like try to put your best foot forward because you never know what will happen in the future. And that's why you always have to be ready and just be a good person overall. Like people, like I said, people like to work with people they like to work with. You're absolutely right about that. That is a fact. That is a fact. Typically, like if I have someone that I'll refer, all I have to do is just tell whoever the hiring manager is like, yeah, this person is great. And they'll take my word for it because they know I'm not going to be on some BS bringing somebody in. So and it's always worked out. So, yeah. And for me, I want that referral money. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) I want that referral money. Um, Let's talk about. Because this will bring us into uh, some of the other questions. And you'll probably be able to see this because I'm going to put it on uh, the thing. Tell me if you can see this. Can you see this? Yes. All right. So she put this on Twitter so I can I can read it out. And mm-hmm. it says, before y'all get y'all panties in a bigger bunch, I'm from D.C. So while I always supply people that work at big tech companies, I would never want to move to San Fran or wherever else for that, even before the layoffs. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people felt the way about that. But I didn't because I. I understood what she meant, you know. How did they feel? What was like the oh man? If I if I was to go through that that tweet thing and I might try to find it Mm -hmm. if I let you expand on how you feel about that, I probably can find it. Uh but it was mixed up. The people and it's always been like this. Uh the people, experienced people that have been in tech Mm -hmm. understood what she meant. Younger people who felt the way or thought by um you know, some issue about like the people that were in like big tech who got laid off or something like that. They were trying to be dense, but you know, I had, I, can, I need to find out my LinkedIn, but I made a similar tweet. It was like, Hey, you know, like Fang isn't the only company that you can work for in tech. There mm-hmm. are other companies out there that are willing to pay you good money uh, to work for them. Like I was telling people in one of the videos, like, shoot, I interviewed, uh, I was interviewing with Target to be like a lead CSER analyst last year, but they put that position on hold and that position, I think, I think my total comp would have been 200 something. So it's like, that's not a fame job, but that's a really mm-hmm. good paying role. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody don't, doesn't know that. Cause all they've seen the last couple of um, years on TikTok is about how cool my office is and look what we get the yes. perks or the cars not drive, which is all very nice. But, most of those people very seldomly actually show what they actually did at work. Mm-hmm. One, because some people can't, but two, because they don't really know how. Like for me, I have an actual almost three-year-old day in the life video where I'm actually working on alert. I have my screens blurred out so nobody can see what's on the screen. Mm-hmm. But people come there all the time and say, thanks for actually showing us what you were doing. Like I'm interested in this. And you're you not. know, the misconception that or when all those day in life videos from big tech companies started coming out, I think people began to conflate tech as an industry and then tech as a discipline. So they just associate the discipline and industry as one, which is completely two different things because people are saying I work in tech, but they may work in tech in a different role. So they might be working in the industry, but not in the discipline and then vice versa. 
So that's kind of where that misunderstanding comes from and where people only associate big tech as the industry and the discipline where you can work. So, yeah, there's definitely government industry in general is amazing. Um, I know there's the whole debate when it comes to uh, FANG versus GovTech because people think like obviously outdated um, softwares and systems that we work on within the government tech, but they're tried and true and they're things that we know that work. And they're a little bit harder to move away from, given the vulnerabilities that come with other solutions. But you can still work in GovTech and work for a big tech company, which is another yeah. thing people don't realize, too. They love people with clearances. Like if you're working yeah. at any of those companies, um, AWS, Microsoft, I have friends that were working with me at the Pentagon that got positions there. And they get an extra $30,000 on top of what they're going to get from the big tech salary just for having a clearance. Because of right. the fact that they have government the, access. What, and the Deloitte's, the Boozes, the mm-hmm. Accenture's. Mm-hmm. They have contracts. Uh, Everybody has contracts with the government. <laughs> yeah. And so it's, it goes hand in hand. So it's the debate, I always think it's so funny whenever I see the that whole debate. But I can understand what she's saying. And I I agree. I've worked in uh, startup positions. I've also worked on the government side of the thing. And seeing how it is, um, there's a difference in leadership that you're going to deal with. There's a difference in the overall work culture that you're going to deal with. And I there's a difference in the microaggressions that you're going to deal with as like, a, especially a black woman, uh, you'll see a difference in how you're treated in the government versus how you're treated at maybe a fame company or a startup. Because they're very big on the, you know, the tech bro culture in places like that, where it doesn't really fly when it comes to the government. Yeah, definitely. I would I'd agree with that. And, and I think one of the things, too, we got to get into is like, and me and Eric will always talk about these uh, discussions about we have mixed um, feelings about like tech in general. Mm-hmm. Like me and him or most other people, we even though we know tech is an industry and you can have a role in tech, we really only think about technical people who have tech roles mm-hmm. even though we know the non-technical roles are needed because there are some very technical people that are product managers and project yeah. managers and things like that but then there are some people that aren't technical that are in those non-technical roles and a lot of times what we've seen and i hate it though because these roles are needed so mm-hmm. far what i've seen the most of people who are let go and these layoffs have been a lot of uh recruiters mm-hmm I've seen a yeah. lot of recruiters that go. And the crazy thing is I, I tweeted this, I uh, put this on LinkedIn too. It's like, if every time layoffs happen, recruiters are the first people to get laid off. How mm. are they going to always find the talent that they need? That's a good question, honestly. Um, Cause it, it sets people back too. If you look at, um, I think it was trueup.io, trueup.io and then layoffs.fyi. Mm-hmm. They give you some of the statistics behind the layoffs that's been happening over the past quarter. Um, and there's a discrepancy in the... Said, let's find it. Let's let's kind of go through that. You bring you said, it up? Oh, okay. Yeah, you can share your screen. <laughs> what is it? TrueUp.io, I think is... Is it way. true up or you want to go to layoffs.fyi? You can pull them both up. Okay, let's do it. Let's make this thing interactive. there's been a trend where they're seeing, um, you know, tech and the amount of women or people of color minorities that work in tech, it's not a 50-50 balance. But with the layoffs, you're seeing more so of a 50-50 balance of men and women and things like that, which is setting, it's going to set us back as a whole in the industry. Because we were fighting to try to get people in these positions that aren't normally um, 
in them because they come from communities where it's not there's no emphasis placed on technical knowledge. How do you do um how you spell true up? True T R U E up U P dot I O. And it's a real time tracker on there. It should be. And you can see on there a lot of the big tech companies and like 50% to 60% are majority startups. Let's see. I'm going to do this so we can see more. Yeah. And I'm interested. I don't know if the chat can see this very good, but I'm interested in seeing what, who can, would they be able to break down? What roles will they go? And how long mm-hmm. have they been the company? Now, I know some people have been there for a while. And I also know this thing goes two ways. Sometimes, you could be there a short time to let you go. And then sometimes you've been, you didn't got too long in the tube. You too expensive for them. So they're going to let you mm-hmm. go too. Mm-hmm. So it goes both ways. And that's why we always say, you know, Hey, you play for, you know, the team on the front of your Jersey, but you're loyal to the name on the back. So mm-hmm. always. You're absolutely right about that. But yeah, that reminds me when you brought up like, you know, the, the percentages of like us being like in, in tech roles. And I replied to, some stupid dude. He probably wasn't even Latino. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't even have his picture up because I don't even really go back and forth with people with no picture. But I decided to address that for anybody <laughs> else that had those questions because I had uh, stitched the video where um, the guy was talking about how like black people can be effective in uh, cybersecurity, and then I was talking about that was one of the reasons why I created that advanced your cybersecurity career. Mm-hmm. And I was saying how a lot of times you're the only person that look like you're on the team sometimes. So you don't even have somebody to look up to to help you get to that next level. Mm -hmm. And that person came on there saying, oh, I did. I was like, bro, whatever. And the funny thing is people sometimes come at me in a way as if I'm not accomplished or like I'm always talking about myself. I always talk about the majority, not Mm -hmm. anecdotal. Because, yeah, I could be the very same way and say, oh, you ain't working hard enough. You ain't doing this and that, which some people are not doing that. And that's why they're not successful because they don't know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. But majority um, in that article that I wrote, one of the biggest things I said, the issue of why it's not, not, not a lot of black people even pursuing things like in tech, especially if you want to go as nuanced as cybersecurity or you want to go into cloud networking, databases, you name it, is exposure. Yes. Especially yeah. if you want to talk about the South. I'm from the South. And yeah. we weren't exposed <laughs> to that. You're all. absolutely right about that. I told you when I got out the military because I joined when I was 17 and when I got out, the only thing I knew and equated to tech was Best Buy, Micro Center, Apple, or one of the um, internet service providers or phones. That was it. That was the only thing I knew at the time. I didn't really know the other career paths because I didn't know anybody that was working in those career paths. Yeah. Let's see. What does it say? Savage Tracker. Uh, Google got the yeah, best one. Google, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, one of my friends, they got they work for Google, they got laid off. But I would say really and 16 and up is good. Interest like people who are entering the industry should definitely pay attention to things like these because you need to see how these companies are treating people with layoffs. Because layoffs can be inevitable sometimes, but what matters more is how they're treating the employees that get laid off and then also how they communicate with the employees that are not laid off, also. Thanks. Two weeks. I know some companies that gave people one paycheck and that was it. Like, See, yeah, that's so trifling. And I wouldn't like you wouldn't be able to. I feel like that should be illegal. It should be. And <laughs> after going through a, um, after going through a layoff, I was like, nah, I know how to. Uh, I know how to. Um, let me stop sharing. Mm-hmm. I know how to negotiate that, and I was like, nah, you're not. You're not going to do that to me. Um, that's another thing people don't know that they can negotiate when it comes to layoffs. 
I'm like, nah. Because see, if I know, like, I took what they gave me from McAfee. I was like, had I known then, it's going to take me from, like, because that was January, but they didn't technically uh, set me to be gone from the company till February 1st. Mm-hmm. But had I known, if I go back in time, I said, all right, I need at least three months. I need I need 12 weeks, 12 to 16 weeks at least. Yeah. Because I had, it was so much BS going on during that time. And so I would tell people then, like back then to me, it was way harder to get mm-hmm. in. Like people complain now, but I was like, you have way more at your disposal to break into cybersecurity or a tech role than yeah. I did. Years the ago. knowledge is so vast and it's shared so openly now, <laughs> especially with yeah. the advancement of social media, because I don't even think we didn't have Instagram and all that back then. Yeah, like they talk, they want to talk, like they'll call us gatekeepers because we tell somebody, hey, you got to know what you're doing yeah. to get a role <laughs> versus back then, nobody even gave you information at all, like yeah. real gatekeeping. Yeah. Like it, it like amazes me. That's like, it's crazy. You can say something that's right and that's when everybody will pay attention to it. Because yeah. that's how I, I had one of my, I got to go back and find that tweet because I had to mute it. It's a couple of tweets I muted because they got stupid. But um, I had, uh, I have a short on this actually on my YouTube channel. It's like, you know, people want six figure tech jobs without six figure skills. That's and right. then a, a lot of dense people came on there talking about non-tech roles. I was like, are we going to say, I said, did I say non-technical tech roles and tech roles? I just said it one thing. I said, it takes skills for non-tech roles as well. So mm-hmm. everybody, it was, it was stupid. Like, you know, I think people who are, have been in the industry 10 plus years um, kind of have a different outlook versus people who have been in maybe four or five years or people who are just starting to come into it. So ours is, although it seems a little bit more archaic, <laughs> is it's what we know that you're going to need in order to survive. Cause there's not longevity for a lot of people when it comes to having tech careers. A uh, couple of different reasons why, Obviously, the fact that it's high paying, a lot of people get in and get out. So they'll do a lot of investing and get out of the tech career overall. So the people that you do see that end up staying in have a little bit more knowledge as to what you need to do in order to have that longevity. So people are just coming for like a cash grab when it comes into tech and that's going to work against you. (laughs) I think people got mad because I was saying you shouldn't um, like telling people that are new in tech to focus on job hopping is bad advice. I think that's just poor advice. Like. You shouldn't be chasing money. You should be chasing skills. And you don't want to go in, especially and put a cap on yourself. Because if you job hop a bunch of times and you're in your third year now making $300,000, it's going to be harder to sustain that long term. If you're not going to be continuing to work at that company, there are other companies you're not going to be able to quite meet that number. Um, So it's easier if you focus on building your skills first to where by year five, you can demand 200, 250, and that you can have that for the rest of your career. Yeah. Well, I I agree, but then I have a little bit of a difference of opinion. I've mm-hmm. told people I don't care about job hopping. I think yeah, if you're trying to get your money, cool. I was like, however, make sure you are job hopping. Um, strategically. Strategically and what's the freaking word? Vertically, not lateral. So mm-hmm. every role you job hop to is a step up and you're getting to learn more and more. So essentially, like you say, chase skills, because I was like, I've known people that like job hop, but they just job hop into the same roles. So I was like, yeah. in the long run, that doesn't benefit them any. Mm-hmm. You can't like in some of your roles and I'll tell people. It's not a red flag, but if you've been at a certain role, like the same role for a while and you haven't did anything in it, no type of major uh, achievements or anything when I'm like, looking at your resume or you may be interviewing you, that may be a red flag to some employers. Yeah. 
just because like, okay, so this is all you want to do. Or you might, they might look at you as like a, a bare minimum person. So you got to keep that in mind. You got to try to do some stuff while you're working. If not, then you will not be able to get that role. Like the fact that now, and I ease up away from this, but that the fact that I got like sock lead, like in my headline thing on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. I get hit up for those, like those type of roles like all the time. Hey, we got a, you know, a lead position or we got this like that, but they also do it because then they see that and then they go look at my experience and like, oh, okay, boom, we can, we can talk to these people. And another gem that I always talk about is like whatever industry you're in, mm-hmm. if you get experience in that industry, you can stay there. Like I've been in finance like the last year and a half. So Finance companies reach out to me all the time because like, oh, he's already been here. So it's actually like mm-hmm. he's just a remarkable candidate, especially the two names he's he's worked with. Let's reach out to him. So whatever industry you're in, you can actually probably try to see what's going on in there. Like they, like you said, big tech, government, not the only ones you got. You got financial, you got um, oil and gas, like the Exxon's mm-hmm. and all them shells. Like s- stop looking small and look at the overall picture, what you're interested in. You know, if you're interested in some of these things, See if there's a company out there for you. If you like, you know, medicine or pharmacy stuff, hey, pharmacy tech, like they need security people for uh, do things to secure mm-hmm. pharmacies. CVS hiring people all the time, Home Depot. <laughs> all these companies have cybersecurity jobs. I'm telling you, and they have, most of them, they got their salaries on there. They got their range. They pay well. Uh, Coca-Cola, Pepsi has like a headquarters out here. Um, Toyota has a freaking, I'm going to go like one of my, y'all that's watching, one of the things I'm going to start trying to do is more vlog content, but it's going to be in a way that I can kind of show you like the different type of like, offices that are around here. Maybe that I can show people and it's like, look, this mm-hmm. is Toyota's massive freaking Plano office. If they let me like record, it's like dope. Um, it's cool over here. And I'm going to try to do this thing. I actually reached out to my friend as a realtor for people that's interested in moving to Dallas, Fort Worth. We go through different apartments and locations and kind of record it. And we talk about it's like these are some places you can stay at if you want to move and have a job out here, work remotely or go to the office. So it's a little bit of diversifying my content about to get a workout. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah. Um, But you're absolutely right about that. Working in the different industries is completely underrated and also having different skills. Like I get hit up for all types of different positions because I've worked in the healthcare field. I've also worked at oil and gas at Shell. I've worked in fintech at the working on the trade floor at Shell. <laughs> and then um, I get hit up right still for positions like software engineering, which I haven't even done any type of software development in probably like two, three years. Gotcha. But to this day, they still hit me up for those positions. Um, and I get hit up for positions with the healthcare field all the time to work on like Epic engineering. And I have not done that maybe like well over eight years. <laughs> yeah, my friend, she does some type of uh, Epic security. And that's going to be something mm-hmm. else too, is like healthcare is a big one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I report all the time. Well, I read the reports all the time where, like, you know, threat actors and ransomware gangs are attacking, like, mm-hmm. you know, hospitals. Oh, yeah. They're one of hospitals will pay. They they got money, too. They'll, they pay on their security personnel. <laughs> hospitals is one of the most attacked. Um, anything to do with financial industries. Also, anything to do with um, industrial controls. Uh, yep. People don't Shout necessarily. Yeah. So, like. Uh, plants, any of these plants that people are working on, they specifically need security. Shoot, media, shoot the uh, NBCs, the Disney, oh, yeah. Netflix, sure. <laughs> all, like all these, like that's what we're telling people. Like, if y'all watching right now, like, stop just thinking like small in a subset mm-hmm. of companies. Like, think big. Think you big. can think anything critical. If it goes down, you know, 
the U.S. goes down. <laughs> so it's like True. those are the ones that's going to pay. Right. Even look, we just saw what what happened with all the airlines and stuff. P- please believe me. I know for a fact they're going to up the pay for um mm-hmm. what was the Southwest and them were grounded or everybody yeah. was grounded. Uh, everybody was grounded. So it was the FAA grounded everybody. But Southwest also had an issue where their systems went down and then everybody's flight got delayed or canceled. And their bags were lost. It was a uh, was Southwest shut down. I think was the yeah. <laughs> so they're definitely gonna like up the ante on, on some money on that. I mean, shoot, even something like I brought up Target other shoot. You walk in Walmart. Walmart got tech rolls. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> it's like I'm telling y'all, man. Y'all really is, you know. And also tell people too, like I was telling them in that presentation, like it's okay to do a stepping stone roll. A lot of people trying to hit the mm-hmm. home run in the beginning, mm-hmm. but I'm like, I try to take what you can get. You know, absolutely. Um, based on standards that people want to be like, I'll tell people sometimes I, I love the clients that came to me sometimes. Like, listen, I know that I may have to take a pay cut in the beginning mm-hmm. just to get my my foot in the door, but I'll do that because I know in a year or two I can make make that up and then more. That's the type of attitude you got to have, <laughs> unless you got some elite transferable skills and a, a good network, you might mm-hmm. not be able to walk into an ideal situation making good money. And that's just the honest truth. Tell people to get out the mindset of making every single decision or uh, money related because there are certain things like for me, my clearance left when I got out of the military and the position that they offered me where they were willing to upgrade it to top secret SCI was only paying like 70000 at the time, I'm Damn. making six figures, so I was just like, oh, "Do I want to take a pay cut for this?" But if I knew that having the TSSCI would be worth it in the long run for what I wanted to do, so it's like, "Yeah, I'll be willing to do that." Stay down, build those skills, get whatever it is that you need, because it will propel you. Before you might be on like a linear line for aggression, but then you can just get propelled. So I definitely yeah. think that's the smartest thing you could do, as long as you're strategic with it. But um, the money is going to come in tech. I, I feel it comes with experience, years of experience and knowledge and skill set. It's pretty much a given. But make sure that you're chasing the positions and the projects that's going to give you what you need to get there. That's it. And yeah, like I um, also say, like, you know, as long as the price cut, if it, you still could pay your bills with it. Cool. Yeah. Like that's why I tell you, if you can't, you know, you can't pay your bills with it, then don't take it. Try to figure something out or get that and try to get a side hustle or, or, or something. Mm-hmm. But uh, you definitely like those projects are big. Like for me, I always talk about my resume mm-hmm. uh, about like, hey, how do I help our team? Like, you know, integrate the stuff with some uh, uh, sort automation that we didn't have. So that's a big thing when companies interviewing you for like uh, roles where they need automation in place and they know somebody yeah. who has some good use cases that they can, yeah. you know, work on. That's big. Like if you can solve problems, you'll always be valuable. You know, another thing too, people undermine things like help desk because <laughs> it's like, you know, a help desk is also a part of cybersecurity. Like you're frontline dealing with the users, helping them mm-hmm. create these passwords and active directory. You're educating them. So you're helping to uphold cybersecurity best practices. And it's just all a matter of also how you word it because you can be in a help desk position and word it to be a security position <laughs> as well. Um, with the nice framework, you're familiar with how they have the different um lines within the nice framework where it's like overseeing govern or operate defend okay yeah i normally do it all of those fall within cybersecurity too yeah i typically do it like um a lot of people that i work with uh if they come from help desk a lot of times they've been doing 
tier three slash sysadmin work, right? Yeah. So a lot of times I'll, I'll just label them like, hey, you've been doing system administration stuff. You've been Absolutely. doing Absolutely. identity and access management. Like You've Absolutely. been doing a lot of stuff. And that's one that's that's a, that's a something that slept on too. And we look at every breach we've seen recently, identity and access management has really been the reason why they got breached. Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> and so, and, and that's the thing is like, we just, all you have to do is think about concepts and like co- common sense things when you, when mm-hmm. you actually think about cybersecurity, a lot of people think it's like super hard and looking like it's got to be a rocket scientist, but when you really break it down and get into the minutia of the details, <laughs> it's not like I, um, yesterday talking to the client, uh, I was reading my, my SOC analyst questions that I have that I, that's, posted that's pinned to my uh, LinkedIn mm-hmm. and I was asking her, I say, okay, if you're interested in the soccer role, if you were asked this in an interview, like, what would you say? And um, she kind of gave me a typical answer that I, like, it's kind of like a safe answer. Oh, I would research, you know, yada, yada, yada. But I was like, research what? I was like, you know, let's ask some clarifying questions about like, hey, you know, where is the login coming from? Was it successful? Mm-hmm. Um, are we seeing other logins in the same time span from another area? It's like other different questions. And I was like, I'll say, let's look at this like this. If you got a call from Brinks and they said, hey, uh, your uh, alarm went off in the house. When they call you, that doesn't necessarily mean somebody broke in, right? Mm-hmm. But then you actually go to the house and you see, oh, somebody bust the door down. They broke a window. So we know somebody was in here. I was like, now we think about let's, you know, whether we're with the police or you just by yourself. Now let's see if the person is still here. Let's see what rooms they went in and try to access to see if they yeah. stole anything that's dear to us that they knew we had that they took out, you know, took out of here. Um, or, you know, you uh, well, for one, that's an unsophisticated attacker. If they broke down the thing, mm-hmm. sophisticated person is the lawyer went off and they made it like they were never there. You know, they actually covered their tracks pretty good. So it's like. All the things that they talk about in, in cybersecurity about, you know, uh, when the network of compromises and um, lateral movement can be applied into regular things that you would actually understand. So if you apply that concept virtually, you'll understand how to answer some of these. Of course, you have to know the jargon to go with it that the interviewer is looking for. But when you break it down and make it simple, it's not as hard as it seems. No, you're absolutely right about that. But I think another reason why... Um, because you ask people questions like that, sometimes they might go off into a tangent <laughs> to try to answer the question where it's like, okay, you're not wrong, but you're not really answering it at yeah. a high level, which is what you should be aiming to do. Um, and then another issue is just the lack of overall development when it comes to training talents uh, within cybersecurity, especially new personnel. So it's like, you can't expect somebody to just know everything off the gate when they're coming. Right. You see somebody who is willing to learn and has great foundational knowledge. You should teach that person, which a lot of companies don't want to necessarily do when you talk to some of the hiring managers. Yeah, that's that's also facts. And I think it's like when you say the training part, like, you know, some of the things that they do are so fast. It reminds me of school. Mm-hmm. So like no way you kind of master some of these skills in that short amount of time because just a lot to take in. Yes. And like you said, I told I told her before answering, you said, hey, in the interview, and it's, I said, if it's like an entry level role, they're not looking for you to know all these answers. Absolutely. They kind of just want to see what your thought process is because there'll be alerts that you haven't seen before. But based on how you handle uh, problems and, and solve them, we'll let them know how you may answer these in the future. That's awesome. And I was like, troubleshooting. Yeah. Facts like we had a I had a live stream on here the other day and um 
it wouldn't let me share my screen because I had to I had to go give Google permission, but it's gonna make me shut the stream down. <laughs> so I did like I did earlier, and I just shared a, a screenshot as a banner, and we just looked at it right there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was just one of the ways that uh, that I did that to kind of just show troubleshooting skills on the fly. Um, I think this is the last one. I know you. I know you had like a lot of smoke for some of these uh, <laughs> these things, and we'll talk about it because I talked about it in a sense too. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll say tech influencers, but here's the disclaimer on mine, and you probably have a different beef with these people. Mine is on the tech influencers that don't really tell people like I like the tech influencers that stick to their lane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like how I did that, their lane. Um, like, for example, my guy, I'm just Cyrus. He only sticks to stuff about, like, he's a sales engineer, so he really sticks to things that are more so about sales because that's what he's in. He doesn't go out and tell people to do all these other things to get in these other careers because he mm-hmm. doesn't know about those. So my gripe when I uh, made that uh, stitch on TikTok is about the people who are trying to one size fits all everything. And this, you can do this thing and get into these roles, like telling people like I come on a a young lady's TikTok the other day when she was talking about some entry level cybersecurity certifications and she had CISSP on there. And I was like, that's not entry level. Mm -hmm. So it's always been like misinformation like that, like having people with like no experience whatsoever trying to go out and get a CISSP without even getting focusing on skills. Like that's the Mm -hmm. biggest thing. Bump all the certs skills yeah. <laughs> and so that's that's always been my issues like i don't really mind it but it's like if you are doing the and i was thinking about this too like this question i was gonna word it. i was like i could easily probably have like my be booked over clients if my pitch was hey book with me and i'm help you get a six-figure cybersecurity career yeah. and i can play on the wording i have a i have an attorney we could I have disclaimers as far as like you know getting your money back but i can also get her to draft up a disclaimer saying hey you know I'm not saying you're going to get six figures by working with me, but I'm saying like you could potentially get that. But even mm-hmm. me just making that my ad is misleading. Instead, I could say, hey, you know, come give me cybersecurity so I can help you find a good paying career. That's more honest than saying you're going to get six figures. And don't let me say, hey, I can help you get six figures in 90 days. I can't put a timetable on that unless mm-hmm. I have one or two things. I have a company that through the signups, you work for me and I help contract you out. And you get experience that way, which I think is like a, a way that could be beneficial for clients. Or I have relationships with companies and we have a partnership to where they place you in roles. Those are the only couple ways I could agree to say, I'll help you in 90 days. If mm-hmm. not, I could not put a timetable on helping you get into uh, cybersecurity in a, a certain time frame. Because I've had people that's got a cyber role in a week. I've had people that's did a month. I've had people that's taken them a year. Mm-hmm. It really just depends. Everybody's path isn't the same. That's, you're absolutely right about that. My thing with it is, it's just that it's a, I feel like a lack of integrity that I see is the common thing with a lot of people. Um, and it's kind of different depending on what their aim is. So like, for example, sales, tech sales and sales engineers that are creating those courses um, are not being completely honest that half the time, if you're not a salesperson, there are certain skills that you need to have to be a salesperson, not just in tech, but within any type of sales And if you're not that type of person, you're going to struggle in that career. 
you're not going to make half as much as what they're making. And so they're not really being honest with people about that. They're saying, oh, you can make this. But in reality, the vast majority of people who were taking a lot of um, those sales, I don't want to call out the boot camps, but um, people are taking these and maybe like 90% are not getting positions or they're getting positions for like a year and really struggling once they're in them and they don't end up staying in it. So I have an issue with things like that where they're not being upfront with people about what it takes. Um, another one that I have an issue with is just the glamorization of the career of making it seem like, oh, you can work from home, you can do this and that and how easy it is, but you're not telling people what they're going to be facing being in that career, especially when it comes to marginalized communities or minorities who are not a part of these careers and are going to be the first or one of a few people that are at their company that look like them, you're not telling them what they're going to be dealing with. So it's it's just, it seems like a lack of integrity. Um, another thing I have issue with is the pricing, things that they are people paying 5,000 upwards. Um, it's You're already having them come from a background where they're taking their last dollar to pay for said course or said consult call or whatever else, giving them generalized information that doesn't really do much for them when you should be telling these people to get a degree, honestly, because I'm, I'm very pro getting a degree. I think that is, as long as you're smart about the way you go about getting your degree and have the least amount of debt possible, there's a lot of free resources. There's also free boot camps. So I just, I honestly do not agree with it. <laughs> I think it's a lot of unqualified people that are out here giving advice. And I think that it all stems down to a lack of integrity and um, just a quick cash grab. feel you now I've, i have recently and i'll say like right now because i've already said this so that's what i want to talk to you about like i have mm -hmm. recently um start pushing for course careers because i'm an affiliate mm -hmm. but so here's two things so i do tell people hey if you do want to do sales i tell them like tech sales is a career where it's an outlier where you could make more money mm -hmm. than other people um and i've seen people be successful from their course like i have uh real life people that I don't like. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but his name is Antoine Wade at Black Heights. Um, mm. He's been in sales. He, I think he started off in software engineering, but then he moved to tech sales. And he's got, he's doing a lot of big things. Like I actually know him and he's a uh, vast for personally, like when me and him talk like outside of that. And then like I was telling you, like I met Cyrus in person and he was telling me about like, I actually use, uh, I think he either used careers or course careers, one or two back in the day and I actually helped him and he's been doing stuff in his thing. And then they have some other things, like for example, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Josh uh, Matacor. I've um, heard the name before. I can't. Okay. Think I have to send him to you on YouTube. He's pretty dope. Mm -hmm. He makes a lot of good content. Uh, he had uh, when people ask him about learning Sentinel, I was like, dude, I did his Sentinel lab one day, and it's pretty cool. And I expounded on the lab based on knowledge I already have for like working with Sims and stuff like that. But uh, mm -hmm. he created he created their IT course, and he's actually been bringing people on that took his course and talking on his YouTube channel and. Um, mm -hmm. His course is pretty good because he's also covering like some basic stuff, but also like stuff in Azure. So it can help them go past just a normal role when they get that first role to have experience. But um, I definitely agree with the uh, the part like uh, paying too much money for some of the things where like you don't know the person's teaching like some of the stuff is qualified. Like I made, um, I think, a green screen video of uh, somebody had took some type of course, five or $10,000 trying to get sec plus. I was like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I'm for schooling only if the curriculum makes sense and mm -hmm. it's priced at a good point. Right. Cause like I said, I, this comes from a person who has a undergraduate degree who had, I know how to utilize it better. Um, I probably could have got a position faster once I graduated, mm -hmm. 
but um, the curriculum is just all over the place. It just introduces you to too much things. You don't really specialize in anything. And I also ended up getting a master's. But once I got the master's, it's kind of like when I got in cybersecurity as well. Like once I started school, I got my first cybersecurity job. But if I would did it over again, I only went back to school because I was working in the knock and I didn't have anything to do. Mm-hmm. If I did it over again, I probably would just network and learn some more skills and got a job that way. Because um, like, you don't, like I tell people too, you don't need a degree. However, it won't hurt you in the long run because when it does go to negotiations or what you want to get, if you have all the boxes checked off, they really can't say no to your salary demands. Because yeah. a lot of people that you will work with are happen to be older than you and then probably have to get a degree because they got in at an earlier time. Yeah. But nine times in, you probably made more than them and they don't know it, especially if they've been there for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah. So, like I said, I, I, I do agree. I, I, I do a nitpick mine, but at the same time. <laughs> I think it's it's just um, not necessarily but unfortunate, but, you know, people like you and I, we don't have the luxury of being me- like mediocre in anything that we do. It's like technical excellence is the standard. We have to make sure every single box is checked in order to yeah. get into the positions that we're in. So that's why I try to tell people who are coming in to have that same mindset. Yeah. And like we said, like I was, if I piggyback, I was saying earlier, you don't even want to be mediocre. You want to be <laughs> so good to where like I've gotten jobs because I work somewhere and somebody like a adjacent of like my manager was working at another company and I interviewed there and I got this job easy just because she remembers how well my manager used to speak of me. Mm. So it's like, I don't even have to do the director interview with him because I already know he's about, he helped this, this big contract that we had. Yeah. He was one of the primary reasons it was successful. And so like I always say, man, you really have to um, put your best foot forward. Mm-hmm. So I would say this now, right? We're doing laying down towards the end. What's it could be a couple of questions or one question. I'll say I'll put it like this. What are some questions that you thought I would have asked you that I didn't ask? Um, hmm. all right, let's see. I'm trying to remember what <laughs> some more questions. Did you ask me like um advice for people entering the field? I kind of asked you that, but I, I actually like the skills portion. No, let's do that then. What mm-hmm. like because somebody asked earlier, there was like other entry level roles for like getting into kind of measures. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a perfect time to segue into like uh, if this is a person with zero experience, I guess we'll, we'll just say they're from rock bottom, zero mm-hmm. experience. What would be your advice on them to get into the field and be a countermeasures uh, cyber engineer? Um, number one would be first stop, start building on the foundational knowledge that you're going to need. So definitely anything to do with operating systems, anything to do with Linux again. So build off of that into networking, get strong, strong footing in networking before you even move to any type of security fundamentals and then build on the fundamentals portion of security after that. But, um, Apart from the technical portion, another thing is read. That's probably the biggest advice I can give is just read. Everything that you're trying to learn has already been written down somewhere. So reading is going to be your best friend. Um, I still to this day have a lot of books that I'm reading, um, always chasing different certifications that's going to help improve my career. So like right now I'm studying for a CISSP and then I just got the opportunity to do a SANS work study. So I'm probably going to take that and then get one of the... um, forensics certifications that they have with SAMS. 
But apart from technical and reading, um, I think that you need to also focus on overall knowledge of a holistic view when it comes to cybersecurity and tech in general. Um, read a lot about ethics, um, a lot about technology and race and discussions around that. Um, I have a couple books that I can recommend for that. It would be like um, let's see. Automating Inequality. This is a great one to read. Algorithms of Oppression. Everybody knows that one. Um, Race After Technology. This one is a great read by Ruha Benjamin. I would definitely say read that one also. Viral Justice, also by Ruha, is great to read as well. And then um, Fatal Invention. That's another great one. Apart from those are more race-centered this is uh, ethics for people who work in tech. I think everybody, it should be like a required reading for anybody in tech. And then you have um, AI ethics is another good one. Weapons of math destruction is great. Uh, the political philosophy of AI and the misinformation age. And then the last one is statistical illogic of the crisis of modern science. So this one is amazing to read because it'll help you learn a little bit more about algorithms and statistics and how you can work with that when you're building onto your career. Um, so reading definitely, I think, is fundamental to being a well-rounded cybersecurity professional or just technical professional in general. Um, and then the last portion I would say is do not be too hard on yourself to try to learn everything at once because the technical understanding and portion is gonna come over time. There were things that I didn't really understand until after like 12 years in. I may have like came across it when I was originally starting out my career and I didn't have that aha moment until year 12 or 13 where I was dealing with something that brought that memory back. And then I finally understood that concept. So definitely just continue to build off of what you know. Um, and then when you look at the future of cybersecurity in general, Everything that is coming in the future builds off of and expands off of what we already have now. So as long as you continue to build your skills that you have now and you can kind of see the direction of where trends are headed, focus on that. Um, that would be the three points that I would say are great for people who are coming in to know. That's dope. My guy Nigel said that you're going to have to... Uh... Post that library. <laughs> I will share my reading list. I have a lot of actually really good books too, but these are the ones I was like, these would be great for people. Yeah, I got a couple. I got to build some more of my stuff that, uh, uh, and some that I have that I've been, been went through in a while. Like I have, uh, I like Chris Sanders. Uh, a lot of his like investigation information, and I might take, I might buy one of his courses again. But uh, back there, I got his I supply. Really the third person that mentioned his name to me, so I need to check. Yeah. Out. So fun fact is like. When I started the role at Optif in 2018, mm -hmm. I was kind of like, on it's like, dang, how was I going to do? Because number one, I kind of had this, I don't know if it's survivors. It's not survivors and I don't know what it is. But I had came off being laid off mm -hmm. at a sock who didn't really teach me as much as I would like to know. Yes. So I was like, ah, oh, man, I don't want to mess up here. But I tell a story in that podcast episode of how the client made us do like 10 use case playbooks on the spot to see like mm. how good we were and we knocked them out of the park because when we saw what they had like dxc used to be their provider mm -hmm. our stuff was way more documented than dxc but so that was like a thing like that turned the light on but then they had optic gave us free training so we had this investigation theory and elk stack stuff from chris sanders and i took that mm -hmm. and that boosted me and then after that and this is why i also tell people when you're doing certs 
try to get certifications that enhance what you do at work. So after yeah. that, I did the the CYSA plus, mm-hmm. and then my skills went up some more after that. And that's how I just kept on like learning, like getting better, but functionally doing stuff, not just chasing it because I seen somebody have it on a job description, thinking I'm gonna get more money. I was doing it because I needed it to help me get better at what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And so that's always the major key that people need to do. It's like some people aren't even good at what they do currently and they are trying to skip steps. And mm-hmm. that's a way to kind of pigeonhole yourself or move on somewhere where you're where more is expected out of you and you can't deliver and you yeah. might be on the hot seat pretty fast and mm-hmm. you don't want that to happen at all. Um so I definitely I definitely agree with like with everything you said, especially those books. I know outside of like books even related to my career, one I've been using that's been helping me a little bit. I've just been uh really more so listening to the audiobook, but uh, been atomic habits. Oh, and so I've been, I, I've been getting in the habit of saying out loud of what I'm going to do next to kind of help me stay on path to what I do. Mm-hmm. Um versus uh not saying it at all, getting sidetracked, especially because I think everybody in tech got like ADHD. I swear I do. Because <laughs> like I got what, them two screens back there and, what, and actually more than that. But you can do so many different things all at once. Yeah. The way that my mind thinks like, you know, hey, like sometimes when I'm doing something, I say, I got to just do this or I will not do it. It's like crazy. Uh, so I definitely write it uh, down so you come back to it. <laughs> yeah. So I that's what I do. Yeah. So this thing right here, let me see. It's, it's cheap. I like using it, especially uh, thing, but it's like a little whiteboard thing. Oh, that's nice. And it's a little compartment in here to hold stuff. But when I'm working on something, if I write notes in a meeting, I just write it here. And I look down and it helps me stay on task. And I've also, I've also used that. I've also used it in interviews, too. So if they're like, ask me a problem and I'm trying to work it out and I can't really think about it right here, I use that or um, notebook. That mm-hmm. I have, I always let them know I got a notebook in the interview. I say, yeah, I can't prepare too, because they say, oh, <laughs> if you see me looking down, I'm just writing, and then I saw them and say, you know, I'm just writing too, and they say, oh, okay, and then it's like, cool. I say, oh, he can't prepare, so. Um, and they love that. Hiring managers love that when they see someone who's prepared, because I know mm-hmm. we hired someone one time who he did not answer not one technical question right, but you can see is just his overall passion and how prepared he was, and so we'd ask him a question, he'd be flipping through trying to find the right answer. So it's like, as long as I know you know how to look for it. That's what matters more. So, definitely, the same thing happened um, before I left Optive. Uh, I, I get I did the okay on the guy mm-hmm. who wasn't the best at answering some of these technical things, but I was like, you know what? He was a brother. I said, like, I'm gonna give him a chance because people they do it for them, mm-hmm. and he's turned out to be good there. So I was happy that you know I helped sign off on that. And sometimes that's what it takes to an ally, just somebody to to believe in you and 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 say yes. Yes, you're absolutely right about that. I didn't learn my lesson one time, though, because <laughs> it's like you bring you, you know, you want to give your people a chance, but it's like they might not come in and perform. And then it's like I went out on a limb for you and it makes all of us look bad now because like, why can't mm-hmm. you just do what you're supposed to do? That's I've had that happen to me before, too, but yeah. I still don't let it deter me, honestly. Yeah, I think another thing that hurt people in a pandemic, too, is like the faking people are having doing like interviewing for them. And then when they get on the job, it's not there. Yes. We has I was on I think paternity leave at the time and they fired somebody for that because mm-hmm. he wasn't the same person they interviewed. You know we had to fire someone for that too as well. But it's so funny because I I didn't even catch it. <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to tell the difference. It was the manager that caught it and he made him re-interview on the spot. 
and he couldn't answer any of the questions that he was able to answer during the interview. So that's how he was able to tell. But I was just like, that's I that's how I learned that people were doing that. I really didn't even know that was a thing at first. Um, let me see if we got any questions from Big Oh, okay. So for our watchers, they want to know how can they uh stay in constant with you? How where can they follow you on? Sorry, you're breaking up. You said where can they what? Where can they follow you? Um, so right now my main platform is TikTok. I used to be on Twitter. I ended up deleting it because I just didn't necessarily like the tech Twitter platform. Um, but I'm going to be back on Instagram. It's the same handle as my TikTok. It's just life in her lane, um, which my name is her lane. It makes it easier <laughs> for people to know how to pronounce it. Uh, so you guys can follow my Instagram. I'm going to start using that a lot more and TikTok. And then I'm also working on my blog. So I'll republish that. It'll be lifeinherlane.com. So you guys can stay in touch through the blog also. Yeah, I just posted your um your TikTok down there, uh, so they could uh, click on that link and follow you. Mm-hmm. Um, and we should have got into that. It was so much funny stuff happening over the last two three years. Oh yeah, tech <laughs> Twitter is just you know, yes. <laughs> it's, it's really caused a lot of people to kind of pull back from like some of the foolishness. Mm-hmm. Um, which I'm like glad that careers we have real lives. It's like I don't have time for drama, so I want to be in a and engaged in things that are empowering people, teaching people, you know, not what it became. But originally it did have good intentions with the whole Black Tech Twitter, Black Tech Pipeline. When Paris started it is when I first joined it. I thought it was amazing to see everyone come together, but what it became after that was just not something I wanted to be a part of. I was like, I'd rather focus on my own professional development, my career and the people around me. Right. Yeah. No, I think it was just a, it more so the influx of newer people that came in and kind of really made it bad. It's like, I seen something, I'm not going to lie. Like, it's funny because I always, this tweet is probably one of the top 10 tweets I ever seen on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And it was like, hey, you know how in school they had everybody in the regular classes, underclasses, and so classes. They was like, see, the problem on Twitter is they got all of us in the same class. Yes. And some of y'all are not supposed <laughs> to be talking to us. And as funny as that, that is, but that's kind of true. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is very true you can't really and that's the other thing you can't have conversations like with everybody i'm honestly able to surmise like what conversation how it's going to go based on how somebody replies to me especially if mm-hmm. they don't pay attention to what i say and they just interpret what i said especially through text now i can understand the person we're talking but if you're looking exactly what i said and you state something i didn't say i say i'm not going to do this yeah you know? also the difference is you and i we can sit here and have a civilized discussion where we might not agree on different things you know on mm-hmm. Twitter, you can't necessarily do that because it's like the minute you say your opinion, you can get canceled or whatever else. Anything can happen on Twitter just because people don't agree with what you're saying. There's not really civilized discourse into why you feel the way that you do on certain things. Yeah, definitely. And I know that's the fact that happened. Everybody was in an r- uproar. Mm-hmm. And it's not even tech related, but people were in the uproar with um, a couple of weeks ago with the, the bills, Damar Hamlin stuff. And Skip Bayless's tweet, but I was like, if you read the tweet, he didn't say anything wrong. Y'all just don't like Skip. But yeah. a lot of people didn't read the tweet. Yeah. They just read it in spurts. If you read it to the end when it says, you know, all of a sudden it seems um, like it don't matter. Some I forgot what, mm-hmm. it, what tweet exactly said verbatim. But I said, if you read the whole tweet, he didn't say anything wrong. Y'all just don't like him, which yeah. is cool. But just state that bias versus just getting mad. He didn't, he didn't say nothing wrong. And you know how that is, but um, mm-hmm. I appreciate everybody that came here for you know the Saturdays. Right now, for a while, Saturday may be the 
the go live day. Mm-hmm. I'm planning, like I've been telling you, I'm planning to go live. I'm gonna try to do like at least once in a week or twice in a week because I want to do like this like wake up in the morning tech news type of thing like all those things that happen or you can look forward to where like if I can get it out early enough for before people go to work I think it'd be mm-hmm. pretty cool because maybe you can get to work and see if your threat intel team has uh, caught it if not you can bring it to them and you know you're gonna get you like a gold star or something that would but, be um, neat to do that would be neat to do I really I love your entire platform I think it's amazing what you're doing that. definitely keep it up because we need it yeah we're I'm saying we're, but that's when I actually have people like on a team team, like whenever I, uh, whenever me and Eric get our schedules down, mm-hmm. um, cause I, cause the goal for the platform is to still do things like this, but now I eventually want to get some sponsors and move into like mm-hmm. where I actually got studio setting and I want to be able to have guests come in and, um, maybe either pay for their hotel or something. So they can just fly in or something. Okay. And, um, we actually, you know, talk in person in person chemistry is like unmatched especially on camera people love see people body language and stuff like that on camera but mm-hmm. do stuff like that and like you know for me i already technically have a co-host even though he's not on here all the time and then i think that third will be like you know you gotta have you gotta have the the ladies on here so you gotta have like a woman co-host because yeah. men think of stuff one way women do but you know when it's civil and interesting we got hot takes and the chemistry is like always works good. So that's the, the things that'll be, you know, coming in the future. Cause you know, my time is different. Who knows? It might be next month and somebody say, Hey man, I want to invest into your platform. So sometimes you just never know. Cause the fact that, um, like I said, the Afrotech people like knew who I was. I told a story about how one of my Uber drivers was a person that actually was sub to me. Like, it was just crazy. I was like, dang, this little, my little platform, like people actually know me. So mm-hmm. that's kind of some of the things that actually keep me going with this. Cause it can be tough to come up with content, get on here. Like it's a lot of people start off with a podcast, probably got two, three episodes, like to even get into the seventies. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lot. So, um, you guys have any podcasts, like co-working spaces there? Yeah, they they have some. They have some that record for you. You can record for yourself. You just mm-hmm. use the space. So yeah, they definitely have some. I've been trying to. There's a couple of them. I've been trying to figure out. Okay, what's the benefit for me using them besides you know being in the same place and um. So yeah, and I'm, and I'm actually about to probably change how my layout looks on here. As far as instead of facing this, it might be I'll be sitting over here, but facing this back wall, mm-hmm. we'll put like some um what's this stuff called some of that little wallpaper on there and some art and some crap and give a you know a facelift so people see something like every year i've kind of changed how it looks so that's what uh that's what it do got to keep the people uh interested in the background and stuff like that so um that's what we do but i'm gonna get out of you guys here i got some stuff uh gotta do i know um Miss Elaine has some stuff to do. So hopefully you've seen her TikTok link in there. She's always posting some good content. She also has skincare routines on there, stuff for your hair. <laughs> um, my fellas definitely need to follow that. Like me, I'm looking for stuff that works for my face as well. So, but um, appreciate y'all. Y'all know what it is, man. Let's stay textual until the next time. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Happy Saturday. All right, cool. We ended. <laughs>